0: Welcome to Savvy Business, Life Unscripted with your host, Christina Rivera, where our guests share their wisdom and valuable business tips, empowering our audience to expand their personal potential.
1: Welcome Nancy Parsons to Savvy Broadcasting, Life Unscripted. We're so grateful to have you here today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. And you? I'm doing fabulous. I'm even more excited that we're going to talk about a really fun subject today that are going to help a lot of our women listeners and even male listeners listening in today. And your book, Women Are Creating the Glass Ceiling and Have the Power to End It. I love that because we've heard so much about that glass ceiling, metaphorical glass ceiling, and we have so much potential as humans, um, all of us, and and I'd like all women to reach their full potential, and I'm hoping with your research they can do that. Uh, Welcome
0: to the show. Now tell us, what brought you to write this book? Well, actually, uh, we were doing some research on comparing uh, performance data to our psychological assessments, Mm -hmm. and we stumbled on the fact that there were differences in the risks between men and women. So the character strengths are the same or personality based strengths, men and women are both capable, highly capable of leading. But what was so stark was the differences in the risks. And then realizing that because women were warriors, we measure 11 different risks. One is warrior. women had a statistically significant uh, average as high warriors, whereas the men are egotist upstagers and rule breakers. <laughs> So that tells you they're pushing hard, getting all the visibility, you know, doing whatever they need to, to get ahead. And they're viewed as more leader-like or more courageous, even Mm -hmm. though their ineffective behaviors Mm kind of hog the the limelight and the show. Meanwhile... With women being warriors, mm-hmm. they're not always speaking up when they should. They may be the best leader, the best thinker, but they analyze and they sometimes go inside their head, mm-hmm. they don't speak up unless they know they're like 100% right. It's it's uh, based on a fear of failure or fear of making a mistake. Mm-hmm. So we pull back, women generally pull back, and that takes them out of the limelight or they're not viewed as leader-like or sufficiently leader-like. And one other thing that was very interesting, so we kind of stumbled on it, you know, mm-hmm which was great. But the second thing, so then we studied senior executive women and women CEOs and their risks looked more like the men's. So that, so what, so what's happening is those women who do have those more aggressive risks are able to rise to the top, but here's the rub. Here's the problem. Most women don't have those. So the majority are worriers. It's maybe just a smaller percentage that are egotist upstagers and rule breakers.
1: No, tell me what causes those particular women that are CEOs to to break out and be more of a risk taker, upstager and be comfortable with not worrying as much. I mean, what what brings them to that point? Were
0: you able to figure that out? It's actually from, from the time you're born, it's how you're raised. So, and it's the risks that you develop as you're growing up okay so so our risk factors they're inherent personality characteristics so by the time you're a working adult they're pretty cemented in you you can't change them but you can certainly develop ways to minimize them and not allow them to you know get in your way yeah so, um, anyway so that's that's the problem it's uh, and so for example uh, maybe uh, young girls who are in sports and who are a little more competitive etc they're gonna be more aggressive hmm. And when, but when we, uh, but many women are not raised that way. You know, I think more and more girls are getting into that. There's more opportunities for young girls and women. Uh, But, you know, years ago, that wasn't the
1: case. Wow. You know what I'm getting, Nancy, and this is fascinating to me. I never thought of this, but I've been in corporate America, I've worked up to management. And I've been seen it almost male-like. We talked about this right. before the interview. And the deal was, well, part of it was me putting it on because I felt I had to match the big boys. Right. Um, but the other part of it was I came from a household that was not uh, set up very – there weren't a lot of rules. My parents had some issues. They were a little abusive, whatever. Right. whatever. So the point is I, I took more risks than the people I saw around me exactly. men and women early twenties went to another country by myself traveled travel. Oh, yeah.
0: oh yeah. Yeah. And, so if and you're one of the like CEO women, one of the corporate executives, your profile sounds to be definitely one of those who make it through. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's kind of like you said that with how we're
1: conditioned. Well, since I
0: didn't have a lot of boundaries,
1: I had to kind of build my own boundaries. I was like, okay, hell, I'm going to go do this. Right. It's kind of interesting. I never thought that how you grew up could play a part in the way you actually shape how you go out as an adult. Now you mentioned something. You mentioned something so interesting, though, that you might have not grown up or been conditioned to be very aggressive or risk taker. But your book can maybe help people become aware of where they're maybe letting the wor- worrier take over and begin to
0: approach it like, OK, I'm aware of this. What can I do to start changing? Exactly. And inside the book, we actually give uh, give readers what they can do to downplay, to minimize, to prevent that risk from interfering with their success. But the other interesting thing is, yeah, so we can develop skills to, to counterbalance, to get past that, mm-hmm. but you have to be self-aware. It's just what you said, the word is key self-awareness, and most people have no idea what their risks are. Mm-hmm. And that, it even goes further, you know, uh, something in my book too, you know, when we look at leadership, when uh, my business partner and I, Kim and I started this business in 1998, the studies back then consistently showed that 50 to 75 percent of leaders are in effect were ineffective. Mm-hmm. So numerous studies, right? Well, here's the here's the bad news. It's the studies haven't budged. It's still 50 to 75 percent of leaders are ineffective. Why? Why? Well, a lot of reasons. Some reasons they're not the best fit in the jobs people put them in. But but I think the primary reason. Is these leader risks are just running amok, they're just, nobody know. So think about it. Like we measure, for example, one is a false advocate, which is mm-hmm. passive aggressive, or it can be backstabbing, that sort of thing. So there, I mean, it can be procrastination, but I'm just saying, when you think we measure cynic, rule breaker, all kinds of things um, that get in people's way, it erodes performance and relationships, communications. Like in the energy industry, for example, the highest risk of leaders is detached Okay, And you might think, well, so that means when when things get hot and risks show up under stress or when there's adversity or your buttons are getting pushed. But But what I tell audiences today, I mean, it's when is there not stress in an organization? It's kind of constant pressure. So we see the risk behaviors a lot and people don't realize they're doing it. So if you're detached, you pull away when people need you the most. And my concern is like in the energy industry, there could be something... They need to get on, you know, <laughs> but if they're, plan- if they're shutting down and not communicating about it, it can be really problematic. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? Cause I found with
1: myself, I, I've actually been quite a risk taker in my twenties and thirties. Now you think that's a good thing, but like you, you had said earlier, just because you take more risk and, and whatever doesn't necessarily mean a good thing. I actually faltered and failed a lot. Um, but I think the key to it all to growing um as a woman is really seeing and becoming aware of what what is your View on life, how do you attack things? What is the inner voice going on? Do you have this constant
0: mental chatter that is negative or worrying? That type yeah, of- and I think you can look at different situations. Like, even I've had people read the book and be able to actually work on their risks and identify them without taking, like, we offer assessments obviously, but even with the book, you know, I give enough definitions of all the different risks so you can figure out your risks. And then you actually can make big inroads, but you have to practice. It's not one of those things you can read the book and get better. I mean, truly, you have to practice maybe with a, you know, a friend, a spouse or someone wh- who's going to antagonize you. And then you come back and, and you have to speak up. You can't go inside your head Ooh. and that kind of thing where you actually need to do some role plays because until we actually mouth and work through it. We're not going to make the changes
1: Ooh, i love this nancy many <laughs> many years ago i had uh, done this retreat center thing it was a spiritual retreat thing and they were talking about people's different ways of viewing the world and how we can get out of our shell well my shell is kind of aggressive so i had to role play with someone who was very well not aggressive very <laughs> inside themselves and we had to switch places i had to be more like subdued and controlled and she had to come out and boom and we well, right. while we were role playing and we made up this whole script, I kept jumping into you know the aggressive role because it's comfortable for me, and she kept back into submissive. And they kept trying to tell us, "No, get
0: back in your role." You know, yeah. it was really hard for us to stay in what we weren't comfortable with. Right, right. And these things are so ingrained. Like we even measure how competitive one is or not. And I'm highly competitive. <laughs> and I mean, I, I can't help it. I try not to be. My my all my four kids, are all competitive, but. Um, one time I was going to this was, I mean I was going to a step aerobics class I was getting back into shape so the instructor you know that's the pump with the bar you know and all that yeah I love that Yeah. so the instructor says now whoever does the best whoever kicks butt on this song is going to get this bottle of water well I had a bottle of water and I said I am not competing for this bottle of water it could kill me but sure enough just like you who do you think won that stupid bottle of water I was red faced <laughs> barely breathing well I got that bottle of water <laughs> <laughs> it's embarrassing, <laughs> but that's because you know you just can't say, "Oh, I'm not going to do that," or like you know, uh, upstage there's another one. So I talk and I talk with my hands, and I remember when I would be sitting on an executive team meeting when I was in, in uh, the energy industry, I would try to even put my hands under my legs to stop to stop myself from talking, <laughs> you know, too much. Yeah. I didn't have to be too assertive, you know, but it didn't work. It didn't work. Those hands came out. <laughs> so, but, but I do think, you know, I know that uh, I've seen people make significant changes. One lady that read the book, in fact, told me she went ahead and took a promotion. She would not take it for years. And when she read it, she goes, I'm there. I'm ready. I'm going. Mm. She took the promotion because she was too caught up in her own head of what yeah. might go wrong. And maybe she wasn't quite there and da, da, da. And tell me, you know, I don't
1: know if this worked out for you the same way, Nancy, but some of the times the stuff we come up with in our, our, our heads, whether it's moving from a position to maybe a lower paying position because it's something of our dreams, but hey, I'm making 150000 here, but you're like, what's the worst that can happen? I get this job, it doesn't work out, I get another one. Or oh, sometimes we come up with these crazy scenarios. I'll end up homeless. I'll die. And you know, well, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. We yeah come with these scenarios,
1: how likely are they really to happen? But we just build them, build them,
0: build them. Well, we also measure motivators, right? And one is safety and security, 10 motivators. And um, with safety and security, it's just that like, I have a really low score on that. I'm not like under 5%. And I used to go in when I was an HR director. And I'd say, I'm going to do the right thing. If they fire me, I can flip burgers tomorrow. I can get two jobs. I could get three jobs, but I will land on my feet. So I'm like you, I'm like, so what's the big deal? So I was always a risk taker, not afraid, but many people have higher scores than that. And they wouldn't even think of, you know, and we see a high incidence of high safety and security and high worrier Mm -hmm. in the federal government and in academia Mm -hmm. because people go there. So they have a job for life. You get tenure. You can't get fired ever, you know, even in, you know, in the New York public schools, they like put them in a rubber room or something. If they're not a, you know, if they're a problematic teacher, they don't fire them.
1: Yeah. So, well, you know,
0: it's in- It's interesting you say that about
1: that mindset, because my husband and I got married two years ago, we went to City Hall, and I saw the people behind the counter that were, you know, processing the paperwork, they looked like they wanted to shoot themselves. And I thought to myself, they're so not involved in their work, they they look like this is the work from hell. And I'm thinking, why would anyone choose this? And it's probably because they felt like you just said the safety measure. Right. What I'm getting from you, though, that if someone wants to you know, broaden their horizons, get out of what their normal routine is. It starts with becoming aware.
0: And then what is the other part? It's just kind of stepping out and trying. Yeah. So so we have, as I said, we have three assessments. We measure personality strengths, risk factors that can derail your success. And then we measure uh, what we call drivers and rewards, motivators. So when, when I speak at colleges and so forth, I tell them there's two things Or with veterans you need to do. Find your strengths to an to a very detailed level. And that's what we do. Not... Not like a Myers-Briggs or something like that. That's not deep enough. You really want a rich tool. Then you need to find your drivers. What is it that you love? What is your passion? I said, and you can't do one without the other. So you can't go on a job that you're good at, but you, you hate it. And then you don't want to go to something that's your passion, but you're terrible. So you need both. And here's the other thing. The, the beauty of that is when you're happy, your risks aren't showing. So it's the best way to manage your risks is find the right job, the right career path. Hmm. And see... A lot of people are very un, they're not self aware enough about their true talent. We actually find hidden talent. We had one, we did a project years ago um, where an energy company was laying off on one side of the business, but they had openings for systems analysts, energy traders, and technicians. So they used our assessments to screen people in so that they could provide them retraining, like boot camp training to learn a new craft, right? If they were successful, but they had to pass our assessments to get in, Cause we know what all these different jobs look like. That's what we do. We measure this stuff. So anyway, I did, a, I wrote an article a year after that experience and I interviewed the instructor at Texas, Texas Instruments who trained all them. He said it was the best class they'd ever had better than people with computer science degrees. And I interviewed a couple of people and just a year and a half ago I followed up, her name is Becky Wahlberg, and I followed up just to see how she was doing. She was one, she was a secretary in Salt Lake City. We plucked her out of obscurity, sent her to boot camp training for 12 weeks. She became a fabulous systems analyst. Now she's running a a big consulting, IT consulting firm in Boston. Wow. She would have never had the opportunity had we not pulled her out of obscurity, you know. And she even said, and she was a single, she's a single parent. She said, you just changed my life. I can't even believe this has all happened to me. Wow.
1: You know, this is, and I don't know about you, but see, this is a great idea. It's taking yourself out of the norm, going to a class like that where it actually gets you to see, because there are a lot of things I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about animals. And I had thought at one time about being a veterinarian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Until I walked into a vet and thought, I don't like the way it smells. It smells like dog. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah. My, husband,
1: yeah, my husband used to be a vet. So I- oh, So it's like, you know, you can have a passion. Like, I have a passion for dogs and cats, but can I work with them full time and be happy? Like you said, it's two different things. Having a passion for something and being good at it, being good at it and being passionate about
0: it, put the two together, that's just a totally, like, the the icing on the cake. Yeah, and the problem is, and and like we do philanthropic work to help veterans get on the best career path, um, and, and what we found with the veterans groups we've worked with, 55% of them have what we call low career focus. That's one of our measures, the subscale. But when somebody has a low score in that, that means they're career ambivalent. They don't know what they want to be when they grow up. And this stays with them their whole life, right? So they go into the military because they don't know what to do with their life. They're trying to find themselves. But guess what? When they come out, they still don't know. Mm -hmm. So then, of course, we help them, their strengths and their motivators. We really help them hone in. And when you're working to these, you're in a good place. So you don't need to, you know, go back inside your head, is this the right job? So we help people really discover their strengths in a whole new way. I
1: love that because, you know, it's true. When you go into something like that, even people who just launch out of high school go, I'm gonna just go to college and take this, but they have no clear vision where they wanna go. What's great about this is now they start to get a vision of, okay, here's what I'm really good at. Let me put my energy there to build my
0: strengths and yeah. my, my skills. And, and I do coach college kids every now and then as a favor to, you know, clients or what, as, what have you. One uh, young man and everyone that I've ever coached was heading in the wrong major. How costly is that? But one young man, really smart, bright guy, he wanted to go get his degree at, at the state university in, in business, because he was always like a little entrepreneur guy, you know, selling stuff and doing well I look at his assessments and he actually has all the capabilities in his assessments of being an engineer. Because we can see that in you know in the data. So I, I coached him and I said have you thought about going into engineering? And he's like, no. He goes, why, why would I do that? I said, first of all, you can always get an MBA, but you, it's very difficult to go back for an engineering degree. And not that many people are hardwired like you are to be an engineer. I said, you have leadership capability, but you also have engineering capability. I said, and, and so finally, I, and I said to him, well, look, let me, let me make the business case for you. You can go into the business program and come out, and make about 40,000 a year, or you can go into engineering and make six figures. It's your choice. Do the math. <laughs> yeah. but, but, and I helped him understand a lot of kids don't even know what engineering really is. It's just helping you with problem-solving skills. and capa- It's a, helping you to be a better problem-solver, know about how to go about that. But he had that kind of mind, that he could do it. So sure enough, he went into engineering, and he's graduated now. Yay. Yeah. This, is,
1: this is awesome. Well, I don't want us to leave without people finding out how they get their copy of your
0: book, Women Are Creating the Glass Ceiling, and Have the Power to End It. How do they get a copy? Just go to Amazon. It's at yeah. Amazon. You could uh, either do a search for me, Nancy Parsons, or the n- name of the book, and it's on both Kindle and you know uh, paperback. Awesome. Um, and you're you have a website, Nancy Parsons speaks dot com. It's Nancy Parsons yes spe- speaks not a slash dot com. Okay. And my okay. company is cdrassessmentgroup.com dot com. If they're interested in the assessments, and we're also coming out with an exciting new product that no one has on the market where they will be able to take the assessments and get feedback online uh, without hiring a coach, which gets expensive and the rest. So that's coming very soon. So that way, not only can they get the book, but then if they want to go ahead and take the assessments, they can do that. It's a lot, it's a lot less costly and, uh, and it's personal for them. They can keep the results and go back um, and debrief anytime they want. That's fabulous. So, so, uh, That's yeah, that so, so for them company. to
1: keep on the, on the, on the forefront of that, if they go to your website, they can they, yes. um become yes. subscribed and find out more right. about it. And they can
0: uh, go to link, ask me to link with them on LinkedIn too. Cause yeah. I, yeah, that'd be great. So. Well, this has been a fascinating talk. I'm so excited. I'm hoping,
1: cause you know, for four or five years ago, I got a coach. They're wonderful. Um, you know, to help you get on that bridge to understand where your gifts and talents are. But you're offering another way to do that. And it's so important to get outside yourself sometimes and have that third perspective to really look and see where your gifts and talents are. Your book is the first way to do that. But your website and all your tools offer yet another way. And I thank you so much for coming to share your great gifts and wisdom today, Nancy. Thank
0: you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye-bye.